Welcome to History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, 2024 edition. Danny, how how many years have we been doing this now? Oh, uh, four, four, five, four. Seven seasons, and is it the seventh season, Camila? It is. Season I think, on. and we did the one really long COVID season, and I think we did one before that. So actually, I'm going to change my answer to five. I think we started in 2019. Cool. Well, welcome to 2024, everybody. It's a great year. We're really good at this. It's not a great year because the first episode of this year is kind of a a somber one, I guess. That's well, true. As somber as we can do, but we should try uh, and rein it in a minute. Yeah, we'll try to pull it together here in a minute. Um, but uh, as a lot of you probably know, Gaston Glock passed away. Was that last week? Uh, yes. Um, so we thought for the first episode of this of the year, we would talk about a little bit about the history of Glock. Um, and then also what people might not know is that Cody displayed did the first major exhibition of Glocks in the United States back in 2016. I wonder who curated that. Ashley, do you know who curated that? I don't know, but it's actually kind of a funny story. <laughs> Well, all of it is. Uh, it was Glock's 30th anniversary in the United States from when they, I think they got their original contract, law enforcement contract or something like that in 86. So we opened it in 2016 and we put it into this little kind of space. And it was kind of a fascinating thing for me because I I think we talked a lot about how I kind of am like ignorant of a lot of weird gun cultural things. Or I guess I used to be ignorant of a lot of weird gun cultural nuances. So like when I got this opportunity to do this exhibition, I was like, oh, this is so great because, you know, Glock's super important to the history of firearms, the evolution of the polymer technology, blah, blah, blah. And everybody else was like, ew, <laughs> no. They were unhappy. Exact quotes. Like, true story, I was accosted, which is a dramatic word, but I was definitely flagged down in a restaurant in Cody, Wyoming by a board member of the overarching center who was like, how dare you do an exhibition on these black murder guns? Wow, that's strong. I won't say who it was, but um, I was like- At least not during the recording. Yeah, at least not during the recording. And she even like grabbed my wrist while she was like, hey. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then um, her husband came to the opening and he was like, it's actually really good. Uh, I did not understand the actual historical significance of a yeah. clock. Yeah. And so I succeeded. But I was surprised at how many people were like, no way. This is gross. Don't do this. This isn't history. I guess that's that's what you know, uh, most people's angle was, was that this wasn't history. This was too modern. This was too recent. And now here we are in 2023 and it's very much uh, a part of the kind of historical tradition of understanding the evolution of the handgun. Well, I think in passing. Here we are in 2023. All right. Well, I'm at 2024. Thanks, Camila, for pointing that out. Great producing, Camila. Really. You were really good at what you do. So, uh, yeah, we're not even going to cut that out. We're just going to let we're going to let it fly. <laughs> Danny, what were you saying? What I was going to say is that obviously your exhibition was really successful because in when uh, Mr. Glock passed, a lot of people on at least in like the gun culture or social media world were acknowledging this passing as a important historical figure who really changed 
the firearms industry. And so I guess they all came and saw the exhibit and were convinced because, I mean, even after the, that was not an exhibit I was involved in creating. I was here while it was running. So what we were even, you doing, Daddy? What Back. was I? I was still at Frazier when you launched that exhibit. Uh, so at least you weren't at the ATF or yeah, the ATF. <laughs> Thanks. He's like, why you always got to point that out? <laughs> why you always gotta bring, bring up anywho. <laughs> have we ever told people about that on the podcast or did you just out me for the first oh, time i mean i thought we had talked about how danny worked at the tracing center of the atf well if we haven't there it is um now anyway. you know he was also a lieutenant in a fire department and so he was lieutenant dan these are all true things that i have to reckon with in my past when I cyber stalked him after we hired him and I saw photos on his Facebook, I was really just trying to figure out how old he was because I couldn't ask. Um, <laughs> I found I saw photos of him doing fireman things and I was like, that guy doing fireman things. <laughs> I talked to him. He's not that he's not that cool. <laughs> he had a hat and everything. Anyways, anyways, Glock. anyways. In 2016, I was not here yet. So you opened the exhibit without me, which was very rude of you. <laughs> but even after the opening, it was still up once I was here and we were working on the renovation and other things. And so like I rem there were certainly people even after the exhibit opened that would still give it like, I think once the exhibit is open and they could see what it was about, it wasn't the cost you in a restaurant type of thing. But there was still like some skepticism around like, why would we deal with it? Why would we address this? And um, I mean, you always made the very convincing argument that this is a historic, it doesn't matter that it's recent or close to our current time. It still has changed the industry. Um, and well, so, yeah, it's kind of like what we said before about like the AR 15, like the earliest AR 15s and stuff. Some of them are like on the, are eligible for the curio and relics list now, you know? Yeah. What, let's see. What, what was the first Glock? What was the year of the first Glock? I knew you were going to ask me. Uh, he formed his initial company not making the the Glock in 1969 he formed Glock KG which was uh which sold plastic and steel parts um and he was actually a knife maker um first there's a video that Glock put out that um you know like a promotional video that they put out a long time mm -hmm. ago and they had recreated scenes and in one of the recreated scenes a recreated Glock you know threw a knife down it stuck in the table for a dramatic meeting but I digress um so it was 1980, the Austrian Ministry of Defense released a list of 17 criteria for a new pistol that would replace the standard Walther P-38s. Um, and so 1980, and then within three years, uh, so 1983-ish, uh, Glock and a team of firearm specialists formed a company, created the first prototype Glock, uh, which had the polymer frame, the safe action system, which is a three-stage internal passive safety system. Um, and they received the contract and they got 30,000 G17 pistols and 9x19 um, sent over to the Austrian military. So 1982-3. Okay. Well, we are closer to Glock being a CNR gun than its invention. So there's that. Well, I mean, it's not a machine gun. So does that matter? Yeah, that matters. Well, there's one. There was a machine gun version. Well, of yeah, there was the G18. Wait, but what is non... the year cutoff for the Cura and Relic? It's a, it's a rolling 50-year date. So any gun made current, any gun in 1973 is the current cutoff for CNR. Okay. Wow. Isn't it going to be crazy when we are eligible for the Curio and Relic list? 
you personally, you, Ashley, are a curio and relic. I will be on that list. Um, but yeah, so that's dating back to 1980, which I personally, I mean, like I was born in 89. So that's history to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and I think, too, people are now, even just in a few years, I think the internet has really accelerated this, I guess. But like more accepting of the idea that a thing can be historic without necessarily being old. Like we we can judge like certain things have changed the the way development's happening, whether it's whether it's Glock, like we're arguing or talking about here, or you know, like 3D printed arms. That's even more recent, but that everybody I think would be on board with the idea that that has brought a new historically important thing to manufacturing. Well, and that was one of the things when we were doing not just the Glock exhibit, but when we renovated the Cody, I mean, we brought everything up so modern day that we had 3D printed guns in the museum. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, one of the things that we decided we, I don't know, it might have just have been me, but, you know, our collection was super strong until the you know Winchester collection came to Cody in the 70s. And then it kind of, you know, fell off there because we weren't actively collecting things. And so, yeah, like Ruger helped with some more modern stuff for sure. But, um, you know, it kind of just plateaued. So this was just kind of a continuation of doing something like that. Um, but I do. A, what's that? We even have a 3D printed Glock now. You do? We do. Have Did, I ever showed this to you? Was I there? We got it after you left. Okay. Remember when I made that social media post thinking um, that that guy who got us the 3D printed guns and tagged the ATM? Oh, the yeah. Post yeah, yeah. Or like, that's you weird. Both. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> was a weird. So that was when we got it. We got it at the same time, but I don't think, maybe I didn't send that, but it came in with the 3D printed AR. And the episode that Ashley is referencing is that at the time, the episode, the episode, yeah, I'm calling it post. since we're using dramatic words today, I'm using dramatic words too. The episode that Ashley is referencing is that, um, yeah, we, we wanted to collect some or we had been offered some. And so we made the push to collect them. Although there was some internal sort of like, is that something we should really be doing? Is that something we're allowed to do? And we want, you know, some substantiation that we're allowed to collect this before we agree to let the museum have it. Um, and without diving into all the internal things of how we collect items, the basic, the simplest way was we, despite the, um, you know, sort of never talk to them attitude of the social media gun world, when you're an FFL with 7,000 guns that you're trying to maintain and keep on public display, it's good to talk to your local ATF field office um, and know them. As one of our curator friends says, talk to them before there's a problem. And so we we reached out to a contact who was like willing to put it on letterhead that this is perfectly fine. It's a homemade gun. It's not any different from anything else. And that helped us internally get the buy-in to collect these things that we felt were worth going to all this trouble for. So then Ashley posted about this, thanked the person not in name that helped us do this, and people like lost their minds at you that you would talk to the ATF. Um, is that a fair summation? I, what they didn't know is that I hired the ATF. What you didn't know is that you hired a former contractor who worked in a cubicle farm calling people for mistakes on whatever. Oh, uh, Yeah. 
Well, so what's also kind of, you're talking about like ATF compliance and everything with that, which is completely separate from what we were supposed to be talking about today. But the one of the things that we actually discovered um, through this Glock exhibition was the inability for the museum to collect post-86 machine guns. Correct. Because we... Oh, go ahead. Well, I'm telling, <laughs> I'm mansplaining your exhibit to you. That's okay. I like it. Um, Because... Or are you gunsplaining? Both, actually. I think I'm doing both at the same time. <laughs> um, patriarchy is great. Um, the Because Glock has worked with it. That's the other thing. People didn't think, I think, like the company themselves would be that, in, you know, people knew us for our relationship for like Winchester because we had the Winchester collection. And people knew that like some of these co companies with really long histories in the firearms world would be interested in history. Like that is a pretty reasonable jump for people to make, but I think people don't expect that Glock is also supportive of that and has been over the years. And so they like the history behind their products and they just, most of them just in my experience have enjoyed firearms history more broadly. So Glock supported this exhibition and wanted to like give us or loan us one of every model they made and have like continued that but the one we can't have is a 18. We oh, have like all the other little, weird ones that aren't Here's the Midsider Baseball. Um, is that when I was asking for what, you know, they were like, what do you want? You know, we've got all our historic prototypes, whatever, whatever. And I, I can't remember which was. Oh, it was the one that's um, chambered in 357. And oh, yeah. um, I was like, why didn't you suggest this one? And they were like, well, it didn't do well. And I was like, I don't care. Send yeah. it. <laughs> we, we want this because... But they sent the 45 GAP ones like those don't do that well. Yeah, well, and that's its own historical drama, the GAP yeah. caliber and lawsuits right. and all of that. But that also just goes to show, too, that, you know, just because they supported it didn't mean that we just rolled over. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> they they were willing to offer it. But yeah, they it wasn't a advertisement. Yeah, they were they were doing their job and I was doing mine. <laughs> it was a great negotiation. <laughs> but because of your efforts, we have like really if you're because now there are Glock collectors, as weird for some people that might be, there are certainly Glock collectors out there. There is a Glock Collectors Association. And um like those folks are really excited to come to CFM because we have some of like some of the examples that there are only two of that made it into the country because they brought a couple in and they're not normally sold in country like because we got them straight from glock they were able to let us have those for our exhibits so we have some really rare ones that nobody else really gets a chance to see so that's kind of fun to like to be able to work with that level of the collection did you end up keeping all of the ones that they loaned to us yeah we we've continued the loan so we still have all the ones plus i think we've gotten a couple extras since so we're yeah. trying to keep it up to date to like have that and it's still part of like our we don't have the specific Glock exhibit that Ashley had curated because that came out when we did the renovation. But yeah, that was always going to be temporary. Right. That was a temporary that was meant to be a temporary exhibit. But now we still do display the Glock loan on our firearms timeline um, because it's really helpful to talk about what they're best known for, which we haven't actually talked about yet, which is the transition from wood and steel materials to make firearms to synthetics. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, that, you know, I kind of like talking about the post-World War II period a lot because of, I always say it's, you know, the changing of the face of the firearm, right? Like a lot of technologies have been around for a really long time and this is Glock, but this is also, you know, the AR platform and all of that. 
and then all of those weird like gyro jets and aluminum things and 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 weirdness that goes on that like kind of experimentation period after mm -hmm. after the war um you know i you literally are changing the face of it you know you're changing the materials that you see and and how those materials you know benefit and there's a lot of experimentation um we know with the ar from fairchild which uh, you know had its subsidiary armalite um but you also see this kind of in the handgun market and you know there's a lot of kind of cool little experiments that don't really work in the United States. The one that I, I mentioned aluminum and that I was thinking the Whitney Wolverine, it just took me a second to get there, which was this really crazy light. When was that? I don't even remember the years for it. 50s it was, off the top of my head, 50s. Um, but there was this idea of, you know, where can you take the, the, you know, pistol next, how can you make it more durable, more lightweight or easier to manipulate? And so obviously with some success in the synthetic realm with long guns, um, you did start to see them with handguns. And Glock was not the first. Uh, there were other ones. I think a lot of people point to the uh, Heckler and Koch. It felt weird to say that. It always feels weird to say it. H&K, VP70. Yeah, and there were ones before that, but that one's usually kind of the pointed out as yeah. kind of the, the first, but not really. Um, but the Glock was, um, and that was 1970. So that's, you know, a deck over a decade before the Glock, you know, wins the contract in Austria. But the Glocks, you know, not only did they utilize this synthetic material, they also, um, his design, one of his designs that was different than a lot of the guns was that instead of having kind of like a straight grip, like if you think about like a Colt Model 1911 and you've got kind of a grip that's straight down, that the Glock grip is angled, is much more angled. And so ergonomically, the concept was that it like lined your hand up better when you fired it. I mean, I think that is like the, one of the, sort of selling points talking points of like the things that like he brought into the industry i think now that's harder for shooters and like gun folks to understand because there are a plethora of similar ones and it like again trying to go for dramatic words um was the dramatic word plethora yes that was supposed to be the dramatic okay. word um so it seems less like in you know because there's a slight angle to a 1911 grip there was stuff like the luger before but like nowadays everybody has like is so heavily focused on ergonomics that um it's why it's kind of weird to think about that as like an outstanding feature and not just the the polymer but um but then again that's part of the history is right like glock brings this pistol it's relatively new manufacturing processes and a new adaptation of material that everybody's a little bit skeptical of and the reason we say it's a historic thing now is that the influence is clearly there because everybody has a kind of a Glock type pistol, a polymer striker fired double stack handgun and leading to the memes of like Glock, you know, a M&P brand Glock or something like that, or a Glock brand, you know, like those levels of memes because everybody has copied a polymer pistol to some degree. I, you ended so quickly. Sorry. <laughs> Apparently, I, I, one of the things that's funny is you're like, you know, synthetic, double stack, striker fire. I was just like, you know, we should do a poll sometime of like the people that listen to us. Like, do they even know what these words are? Yeah, we're just we're we're doing the thing the old museum did and assumed everybody knew what we were talking about all the time.
Well, if people are interested, maybe somehow we should create a website or something for this podcast and we can, can we... upload the very comprehensive terminology. Danny oh, and I made a glossary back with the museum reinstallation um, and then we've modified it. Not a lot, but like added things and stuff and it's going to be featured in our friend David Imani's book that's coming out and I've used it for court cases and stuff. So we really should just like upload that. and have it, a is, it is helpful. It's probably not... It might not be the all-time greatest, but it's been a very useful starting point for firearms terminology. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, it is kind of interesting. I think you're right. It, it, you know, we're so inundated on the market now that I think it's sometimes hard to, and, and there's so much, um, there's so much personality politics that goes on, you know, today in the gun brands that I think, you know, it's, it's easy to hate on a Glock or it's easy to hate on a right. SIG and you've got your tribes, you know, of people that are diehard Glocks and diehard SIGs. And then your guys that still, they love that 1911. I don't know where I fit in because I mostly don't like shooting polymer framed guns. So I feel a little bit like I'm out, I'm outside the looking, like I'm looking in on this one, but um yeah you're right there's like everybody has to have their tribe and it's so i don't know but just back to my point it's so pervasive like this style of handgun is so pervasive now that it is it is weird to think of it as you know a a really historic change in the industry but i think there's a pretty strong case that it is and um obviously i you know i agree with why you did the exhibit uh originally but it's it's just really interesting to see how you know within like not even a full generation, the attitudes towards like what is historic and like what are the criteria have changed. And then it's like going full circle back into devolving into, well, I'm a fan of this company and their particular polymer striker fired handgun. So I will defend that to the end. Do you think we get that kind of tribalism with like Colts and Winchesters? I mean, uh, yeah, to a degree. yeah, I mean, there's yeah, gun yeah. collector groups and all that stuff, but like, I feel like, I don't know with the, I, is it different with distance than it is right now? Yeah, it's speed, it's different so. a little bit with distance, but there is it is like it is funny how similar it is because there's certainly people that are like, well, you know, the real best, you know, revolver of the 1800s was the Smith and Wesson or the Merwin and Hulbert or this or that, and it's like, did anybody say Merwin and Hulbert? I was just trying to pull names up, and that like came up because everybody has like because everybody sort of has their fandoms, and then there's like this one other dude in the corner that's like it's actually this really weird one that only was made for like two years and that was the first one that came to mind yeah. because it's a weird one that was only made for like two years and people are going to tell us like they're going to write me an email now that says it was actually made from here to here but i digress it it, it happens with the, like the winchesters and marlins because i do hear like you'll walk around a gun show and like some guy will have a bunch of winchesters some dude will have a bunch of marlins and like you'll talk to them and they'll be like this one is actually the real gun that like everybody wanted to have back then and or this was the really good one for this reason um so yeah to me it's really similar um did yeah. i interrupt again no i i i was um i was thinking about at um you know like a, like a shot show or a gun show and like all the like like cimarron um and uberti that have all their like dudes and women dressed up in like cowboy and they're like in there like six shooters and i'm just trying to picture like the 150 years from now equivalent of that with like glock you know somebody somebody dressed up in a plaid shirt and with various brands of 
handgun. Some 5'11 pants. Yeah, some 5'11 pants. Yep. I don't know if they would wear flannel. That feels, yeah, that's true. That doesn't that does not feel Glock. The tactical um, pants would be the thing. Tactical pants, maybe even a ghillie suit. I don't know. You want to get crazy with it. Sure, I'll, I'll let this go there, I guess. <laughs> well, and, and, and like part of the reason I'm thinking about that is so we didn't talk about it. And, uh, you know, I know Camila has a hard out, guys. So we have to, you know, cut this moneymaker episode short. But um, I found this article when we decided to do the Glock. And, and that's what like when I was talking about the history stuff, I was looking at my article um, and I called it the invasion of the black gun welcoming Glocks into the West. And it it was something. It's a something article. Um, but the last line of it, was, or the last sentence, uh, well, not the last two paragraphs, but it kind of talks to that, like, you know, stretch of where we'd be in 150 years. So I said, the American West is changing. At Cody, Wyoming alone, arms makers produce lever action rifles, big bore revolvers, and modern sporting rifles. Additionally, our law enforcement officers carry Glocks. The stereotypes of people and places may remain similar, but their accoutrements and diversi are diversifying and evolving. Now, shows like Longmire do feature Glocks in the modern Western scenarios, but it still is a rarity. After all, 150 years from now, the Old West will be our current generation. Wow. Don't you love reading things you wrote like before? Ah, like who we, and this is a draft. I don't know what it ended up. It was probably worse. I don't know. But I'm very poignant sometimes. Very, very. I mean, to be fair, I have always really liked your comparison. Like, this was something you talked to me about very early on, maybe when we were even like touring the museum for the first time, was the comparison between a Glock and like a Colt single action of like, this is what we think of as like the ubiquitous firearm of the Old West. And if you're trying to do a one for one comparison, like what is what do a lot of people what do a lot of people have? in the modern west because more than likely it's a glock yeah or you know as you like to really push the narrative a mauser c96 <laughs> that's that's my own battle for a different episode <laughs> that's for a different day but it is i mean you know to to kind of the last thing i'll say about it you know it, it does go back to the, something we've talked about in other episodes which is you know mnemonics and we, we talked about that in terms of the Western and things that you see that remind you or tell you, you know, in pop culture, what you're watching. Oh, it's a Western because I saw, you know, cowboy hats and single actions. And so it's, you know, the modern American West, you know, a Glock could very well be a mnemonic for that. Now I got distracted because there was <laughs> on my C96 kick, there was a Steyr pistol from the early 1900s that was striker fired and i forget the model you're right now and i'm kicking myself and i really want to know if, yeah maybe it was that one was that striker fired i don't remember i don't um, remember but there is a there, there is a so. there is a style from that period and i really want to know if it was ever ever like imported through one of those dealers that imported the c96s and lugers because that would be that would be kind of amazing oh my god i really tried to wrap this up in, in like and on Glock, but Danny, you just did. Sorry, I just went to like their biggest, like a huge competitor in their own country. Danny's, Danny's one more thing strikes again. New year, not new Danny. Sorry. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, I don't know. We're going to keep these episodes rolling once we figure out what we're going to talk about. But Shot Show's coming, so maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.